Welcome back, everybody, to the Self Storage Income Podcast. We have an incredible episode lined up for you guys today. But before we get to that, we have to give a huge shout out to our sponsors, Janus International, Tenant Inc., and Live Oak Bank. These are partners who we've specifically chosen for their expertise in the self-storage industry, whether you're looking to rehab a facility, develop a facility, Janice has some of the most incredible and industry-leading solutions for you to implement at your facility, whether that's their, their door systems, their hallway systems, their no-key technology, their keyless access entry systems. Uh, they are hands down one of the best resources in the industry for you to rehab a facility and to develop a facility that meets today's standards. Then we've got Live Oak Bank. Live Oak Bank is yet again another amazing partner that we've wanted to have as our sponsor for this podcast, the work that they do and have done in the self-storage industry is just incredible, and they continue to do this every single day. They live in the storage industry and provide some of the best and most innovative financing solutions for you to be able to get into self-storage. Be sure to check them out. Get a hold of Terry and uh, get your financing straight. Get it right, and these guys are the best in the industry. Then we've got Tenant Inc., all your property management needs tied into one solution. All of Tenant Inc.'s solutions underneath the Tenant Inc. umbrella, whether that's property management or that's tenant management, whatever that looks like, they've got a slew of amazing solutions for you guys to implement at your facility to help streamline management, to help you gain control and access of all your data and you're not giving that data to your competitors who are, are offering the same type of software that doesn't even come close to what Tenant Inc. actually offers you. Again, you own that data, which is just huge, huge, huge and innovative for the self-storage industry. Be sure to get at Tenant Inc. Check out all the links in the show notes for our sponsors. Get at them, get your facility on the right track and get out there and crush it. With that said, let's get to the episode. Looking to create wealth and income through high cash flowing real estate? Self-storage is the fastest growing and the newest real estate asset that has outperformed all others. What's its secret? I'm AJ Osborne, and with over a million square feet that we have built, acquired, expanded, and even converted big box stores from small third tier markets to large hundred plus thousand square foot facilities, we have seen it all. This is the podcast that we're going to discuss and bring on the best investors and operators in the nation to show you how to create wealth and income with self-storage. Welcome to Self-Storage Income. Welcome, everybody, to Self-Storage Income. So excited to be talking today, and uh, wow, has the world changed in just a month, like well, I mean, really the last two months, but uh, the conditions of the market uh, have really flipped like a light switch. We've been talking about this, that this was coming for now quite a while. Um, and uh, yeah, it's now here and we're starting to see the effects of it. We wanted to give you guys some insights into what we're seeing in the market today, what we're hearing from other operators, from banks, financial institutions, investors, everybody else on the market, where we're at, and what that means. 
Yeah, looking forward to diving into it, man. There's a lot of things going on uh, in the world currently, and uh, we got to stay on top of these things as we continue to to analyze deals, whether that's acquisitions, developments, any of that kind of stuff. Um, super key to make sure that uh, we're staying informed and kind of know what's coming down the pipeline and can plan ahead and adjust as we, we move through those times. Because um, a lot of this stuff is, you know, are those macro elements that we don't really have a whole lot of control over. And um, you kind of have to go with the flow a little bit. But, yep. uh, you know, good planning, execution, you can make it happen. Yeah, it really it, it really is. And, um, you know, I think what we're seeing today in the market is overdue. Um, I think, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about, produced a lot of data, a lot of material on COVID's effect to the self-storage industry. Um, and the correlation of the housing market overall interest rates to self-storage. And that's based upon the self-storage market and also the self-storage business. And what I mean by that is the market, like buying and selling of the self-storage assets, but then also the business as in the customers and uh, our tenants and the effect it has on them. So... We are in an interesting period in time where the government spending of the last three years has finally um, come back to, to, to bite us all. And we're, the economy is being just ravaged with inflation. Um, and in order to combat inflation, the Fed is uh, rising rates. They do not inspect inflation to end anytime soon. Of course, they didn't even think that it was real inflation when it was here. Uh, but, you know, that's neither here nor there. And uh, what their plans are is to essentially, the last things that we heard from them, was they're it would be very hard, as they said, for them to see a situation in which they did not allow interest rates to remain high or go higher, meaning their focus today is inflation. They are trying to get inflation under control. Uh, last that we saw, the rise in interest rates is not having very much of an impact. So they expect this to last for a while. This is something we've talked about, um, particularly in what it means. Um, our outlook has been and uh, remains this, that we will see uh, something more in line with stagflation, that remains high inflation. We will, we've started to see that in the jobs market um, already. We are not having job growth, and we're seeing certain sectors start to do layoffs, and we are starting to feel um, the beginning effects. And this has only been, you know, a handful of months, and uh, we're already seeing the effects. And so we expect these effects to continue. Now, self-storage, um, there's a lot of demand for these assets still. Uh, the amount of buyers is still large, but we are seeing deals now trade at lower than listed. They're sitting longer than they were. And we are now see seeing everything from retrades 
to deals just straight falling out of contract. In fact, last month was the highest amount of deals falling out of contract that I think I've ever seen. Um, it was pretty crazy how many deals were getting second looks, taking off the market. People were just walking away. Um, this is primarily being driven by the lenders. And so the conversations that we're having with private equity companies, um, brokers, is we have been selling a few of our facilities. And what we're seeing and hearing is all in line. Um, buyers are coming back and they're like, the bank doesn't approve us for the loan anymore at that rate. And so they're like, we have to either come up with more money, but at the end of the day, banks are adjusting their valuation. They're like, it's not valued that high anymore. Your debt payments are substantially higher than three months ago when we started this. And we're worried about risk. We're worried about execution at these debt to income levels. Um, your ability to make it through, sustain it, and grow in this type of economic environment. So they're pulling back projections. Um, we're seeing this all over the place. And it is not just like we would typically see in third-tier markets uh, or fourth-tier markets. We're seeing this in um, very large second-tier markets. Uh, First-tier markets... Uh, I mean, first-tier markets, generally speaking, don't get hit like other markets do, but but they do. You, you stop seeing ultra-premiums go. And that's all healthy and good. Like, th that's actually not a problem. We need that to happen. Uh, the thing that we worry, though, and people are like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. The question is, we, I agree it's not that big of a deal, but is this the start or is this the end? So, meaning... The effects of interest rates we're now just seeing. How does this play out over the next nine months? And new inventory is coming on board at much, much higher debt um, burdens. And we're seeing a massive fallout in the housing market. And deals are not trading. People aren't moving like they were. Some of the data that we've shown is 1%, only 1% of mortgage rates today are uh, at or less than, not even today's rate, less than today's rate. I think it's 5%. The bulk, 80 plus percent, are at substantially less. They're, you're talking threes. So if you have interest rates of 6%, you're talking over 80% of all the mortgage rates in the United States are half that. All the mortgage rates except for 1% are under 5. That means people aren't going to just be moving to move anymore. They've locked in at rates that are locking them in their house. And so you're going to get moving, of course, because life changes, people change, people have to move, people need homes, they need to buy homes. And it's a weird condition that we see the housing market being a major driver for self-storage. We know that 44% of the occupancy comes from people moving. And when we look at the self-storage drivers and, and what this means is, first of all, the housing market, we believe, uh, now people are like, oh, so prices are going to tank. No, we don't. I actually don't believe that at all. Um, 
the housing market is on historical low shortages. It's it's hard to even quite quantify what that means. So when we're looking at um, the housing market in general, uh, we take a look at what's gone on within the last, you know, uh, you're talking years at this point. Um, but inventory, uh, let me pull up my numbers right here. Uh, existing single family home inventory going back to 1982, uh, the lowest prior to 2014 was uh, 16, uh, 1,600. Uh, we're at, geez, we're at like almost 600. Um, Inventory is just gone. If you look at new homes um, and specs sold, once again, you're at lowest, like 50% reduction since back to 82. Um, it's, these, are, these are big, big numbers, and this is causing problems uh, in the housing market. There's not availability. The cost is high uh, to purchase, but people still need homes to live in, and there's just not there out there. So we actually think that pricing for homes will remain strong, but people are just not going to move. And we're going to see a stagnation in the housing market where we have equity, but the equity is not tappable meaning the cost to tap equity for 99% of all buyers is not higher. It is substantially higher than their mortgage. Uh, most of the new generation of new home buyers, uh, not most, I mean, you're talking about every single person prior to 1980 has never seen interest rates this high. Mm -hmm. you're, you're now in two generations that have never seen interest rates this high. Um, that's, that has an effect and it will have an effect on self storage. Now, how does this, I'm not being doom and gloom at all here, but, um, what that means though encounter, it also means that new inventory coming on the market is completely changing. So the cost of putting new inventory on the market, you can't be willy nilly about development anymore. Banks aren't going to let you. Well, that's wonderful news. That's a counteractive to this right problem that we have. If we have lowering demand but lowering supply coming onto market, we all, it balances out. That's okay. That's fine. But there's going to be an intermediate period here, which we think is about three years, which is a stabilization. That means new inventory coming on board, flowing at the same time we have lower demand, and we view that over, some oversupplied markets, they're going to fill this. This is going to hurt. And then it will rebalance because you, when you go, when you, when you start the development project, it's three years. So development projects coming, hitting the ground this year and next year started years ago. So they started when interest rates were 2.5%. <laughs> they were getting interest only for, you know, five years. That's all gone. So their construction loans almost all are lower interest rates than what they're rolling into, which... That's crazy mm -hmm. that wow. no one planned on that or, or thought that. So that adjusts a lot of things, right? And uh, um, you're going to have, we hope, that there will be pullback in uh, frivolous development. And that should create a counteract to the, the overall markets that we're looking at moving forward. 
This does mean, though, I believe, and the feedback that we're getting from major funds in this market um, and uh, uh, brokers, banks, uh, they're relooking. It, it, it's just not a win like it used to be. And uh, the feedback I'm getting from bankers is we don't think that the market will save the operator anymore. So what does that mean for you? That means you need to go and be prepared for your acquisition with uh, realistic outcomes. Meaning, if you're showing up to the bank saying, oh, we're just going to get the market is just going to rise substantially. So in five years, this thing is going to be double revenue because, you know, market rates are just going to keep going. They're, they're going to laugh you out of the building, right? That's a sure way to definitely not get a loan. Um, you need to be very realistic about approaching a bank on expectations for market performance over the next few years. You need to be conservative. You need to approach them with contingency plans, why this is stable, and you need to be able to express and articulate to your investors, your financial partners, on why that deal is protected against headwinds, how it can support higher interest rates, and how that market will remain to continue to have higher demand. And that's the shift. We went from a shift to where it was just throw your money in, loan money, to now people have questions. They are looking deeper into it. They're their idea of the future of overall markets has changed in three months dramatically. Uh, and this is how down, down, this is how markets that are going down and cyclically down, we've been on a, a cyclical uprun now for over a decade, right? No major institution today, no major financial money manager today believes that we are going to be continuing for the next five years. That narrative is over. Now, I was laughed out of the building every time I said that narrative last year that I'm like, it's not going to continue. And they're like, show us one way that this could stop, right? They're like, it, the train was moving so fast and so strong that it, it, nobody could see how you could slow this train down. And when markets turn down, it's like you flip a switch and everybody just goes pessimistic. And this is the problem that I have. People are timing markets. They're doing different things. And the idea is you shouldn't be overly optimistic and you shouldn't be pessimistic either. You need to be looking at this in a rational way saying, yeah, markets don't always go up, right? But just because markets are going down doesn't mean that that asset you're looking at is going to be affected like the stock market or anything else. So you need to understand what makes a good deal and what makes a bad deal, the merits of it, how it's protected, right? And the market shouldn't dictate how you feel necessarily one way or another about that individual asset overall, right? We're talking about valuation. We're looking at the overall ability for that three-mile radius. Right now in markets, you could look at, like, I think... Over the last, the problem was over the last 10 years, it didn't matter. It didn't matter what market you were in. It didn't matter who you were. You built a storage facility or you bought it. You won. You just won. It didn't matter. You didn't have to be good. You didn't have to be smart. You didn't have to even know what you were doing. You won. Um, that happened through simple cap rate compression alone. Just the market wanted 
to buy more storage facilities. So they went from eight caps to four caps and you doubled your in you know, three extra money. Um, nobody that that's just not going to happen anymore. So you just can't expect the market to make you. That's what I'm saying. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't mean though that you shouldn't be investing. That's what I don't understand. Uh, right, right now is not a good time to get on the market because the market's not going to make you. Well, if you were dependent on the market to make you, you shouldn't have been getting in in the first place. No, it's so true, man. And, and so much of this resonates with a lot of things out there. I mean, because a lot of the stuff we're talking about, we're talking about building business around uh, self-storage investing. And so often you hear, this is where the opportunity is, and this is where the opportunity is not. And it's like, whether they're talking about multifamily or self-storage, or they're talking about uh, online business or brick and mortar or service-based company, whatever that is, it's like people feel like they have to have this this is where it is and this is where it isn't kind of a situation mm-hmm. where it's like, no, man, like there's always value to be capitalized upon and deployed no matter where you're going. Again, like you're talking, AJ, you just got to find the good deal. You have yes. to understand and know what makes a good deal. You have to understand and know what those value drivers are that you can control, uh, what those those drivers of value are that you can't control um, and, and be able to execute effectively. It, it just it's kind of crazy the the whole idea um timing markets or any of these things and you know i kind of jokingly in one of the one of our recent episodes we had talked about um some of these things going on in the market that we're seeing and we had talked about all these changes that we've done to you know how we invest which is nothing you know like we we haven't hardly changed anything to what we're doing i mean we might change some underwriting to be more conservative uh, and obviously, we're going to adjust underwriting for uh, higher interest rates and those other aspects. But as far as identifying what's a good deal and not a good deal, those metrics are all the, the exact same. Yeah. And it really comes down to one of our values and our viewpoints that we don't expect the market to make us. But we expect the market to kill us. Meaning we go in and we invest not with this idea that markets will rise up. And because of that, we're going to make money and be profitable. But we do go in looking saying, what, what, what are, what is out of our control that will kill us? Right. Is this market oversupplied and the strategy that we need to implement to make us, to make that money, to make that upside, even if it's deployed, we, we can't do it. Right. Um, there are certain things we can't fight against. And that is almost always localized, mm-hmm. right? That is always areas that we're, we're, we're looking at to define local. I, I think a perfect example of this was w- when we were building, um, we started to look at markets very differently and said, uh, you know, like two years ago, as costs started to increase, we're like, we don't know where the end of this is. So we're not going to build in any markets that are not like, I mean, we're talking 4x the revenue per square foot than we were previously looking at. Basically, we needed to find the highest revenue per square foot around because we knew that that meant our building costs could basically 3x on any of the other markets and we'd be fine. Now, if that was true to the markets that we were previously looking at and you had a 3x in building cost, no, we wouldn't have made it, right? And now, although it's... I guess you look at it, we don't know if it was going to go there. We didn't know if it was going to cost. 
but that was the point. That's why we, <laughs> that's why we said we can't because we don't know where that market will go and that that could kill us. Right. And that could hurt us. So we're going to limit on these knowns and basically not guarantees, but ones that were like we, almost in any condition, right. This will work. And if it doesn't work in this market, it doesn't work in any market at all. Mm -hmm. None. So, uh, the, it's, this is the best of the best. And we, that's how we hedge and move with the, with or against those markets. We're trying to look at it and say, here are our unknowns. How do we hedge against them? Exactly. Because again, it's, it's kind of like, um, Oh, Jocko Willink's book, Extreme Ownership. He talks about the, uh, the enemy always gets a vote no matter what. Um, obviously he's talking about the battlefield. You can have whatever plans you want to go out and execute whatever missions that you have. Um, and try to accomplish whatever goals you have, but the enemy always has a vote. They have the ability to vote on on your plan and and mess that up. Um, those macro elements, that's the ele that's the enemy. Um, you can go out there and you can have a plan to to execute and do this, this, and this. Um, but you have to take into account that the enemy always has that vote, and yep. uh, you have to plan accordingly and you have to be underwriting conservatively. Um, and, and really have your pulse on the market and be talking again, I mean, just talking development, you really need to be talking to those contractors that are in and around that world that, that understand where these costs are going, what they're seeing increases, decreases. Are you able to buy a ton of materials up front and have them house those materials before, you know, you start your project to have some kind of security and known metrics of a project or can you do that on your own can you just buy a bunch of materials and store them on your own um, or can you order materials and solidify costs uh, through just strategic partnerships uh, because you've got so many deals going on whatever that looks like there's a lot of avenues to help achieve and, and obtain some of those knowns and secure those um, but again I kind of jokingly uh, make the comparison that development is, is kind of akin to uh, to speculation, <laughs> almost, because there's so many unknowns when it comes to, you know, city approvals and um, these these larger macro elements that are so heavily ingrained in development. And again, it, it just comes down to being very, very heavily involved in, in the market, understanding costs, being able to underwrite uh, effectively and project those out over time. Um, and it's not an easy thing to do. Like I just talked about, we, we underwrote for you know, to where our project could 3x over however many years or whatever that looked like. And um, we were planning for those things. Did that happen? No, but absolutely, we're going to be conservative and make those numbers as, as crazy as we can to make sure that it's actually going to pencil, you know, within uh, realistic uh, measures. So, um, I mean, what else do you see, AJ, out there going on with, with interest rates, um, and the increase in cap rates, uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think this is going to catch a ton of people off guard? I mean, we kind of talked about this a little bit in one of our most recent episodes, um, how a lot of these companies are banking, you know, uh, private equity companies are banking on this continuation of, of low cap rates where that's not going to be the case. I mean, what else do you see, like, on the horizon for the storage industry? Yeah, I think that, you know, I think... A lot of people are going to be taken by surprise in the storage industry because it'll be the first time any of them have ever seen anything but the market just being exceptional, right? Like, 
Well, I mean, you kind of just touched on it where if you just bought a facility in the past five, 10 years or whatever and just sat on it, you doubled your money uh, by not doing anything just because of that cap rate compression aspect. Yeah. And today, like, you know, it's not that we're necessarily seeing cap rates just move up, but we've already seen that downward. So like there's a downward piece to this where it just hits and it goes all the way up. And and the downward one, all those like pro forma stuff, all of that, that's just being wiped out. Those lower level tranches of underwriting expectations from and willingness of buyers to purchase, those have been washed out. They're eliminated. So, um, and that has largely to do with the financing ability. We, banks aren't willing to do that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, no, we so, just had financing fall through again on yeah. another deal. Yep. You're talking, I mean, I, I totally forgot that the other day. We had uh, one of the banks that we've worked with uh, on a number of deals. Um, they, uh, I think we were just going non-recourse from the get-go on this uh, with this particular bank, and and uh, they had initially approached us with this this structure of financing. They offered. Yeah, we yeah. didn't even go and ask to them. <laughs> they, they brought it to, to the table. And then, I mean, just the other day, now they're turning around, you know, several weeks later saying, hey, uh, that's actually not going to work. So, I mean, you're already seeing it, man. A lot of the, a lot of the funding is, is kind of getting more and more conservative as we uh, continue moving forward. It is. And this is going to be a catch for, you know, developers. The problem that anyone developing has is it's, they can't adjust within the timeframes, meaning they already started. They can't stop. There's no stopping. So just because you had, you know, interest only four years at 3% when you were in the middle of your development doesn't mean when you move into perm that you're going to get that anymore. Now you have to readjust all your pro formas. Mm-hmm. And maybe your fill-up rate is no longer three months like you put it in there. Literally, I saw one that had six months. And I had to call the person that had it that sent me and said, well, this is what this third rank came. I was like, you, you would be crazy to, it's not that it won't happen. Mm -hmm. It could happen. You would be crazy though, to plan, tell investors or banks on that. Um, that that's just nuts. I mean, why would you, why would you set yourself up for, for failure? You know, where it's, you know, the whole, uh, under promise and over deliver aspect where it's like, Hey, yeah, we're going to plan on three years for, for yeah. fill up. And I, I just, I don't understand that. Um, and right now, you know, reason banks won't even accept that they're, they're going to, they'll, they'll tell you, I, you, whatever your feasibility set, we don't, doesn't matter. We don't care. Yeah. We're not, you, you can't put that on paper and we're not going to underwrite to it. So what you said is, is a good thing. You know, it's a good yeah. thing that things are coming back down to some kind of a reality with some of these valuations and, and, and how these banks are underwriting it. So it, it is a good thing. I mean, it's just been shaking my head for the last two years. <laughs> like, <laughs> <Yeah>. holy cow. <laughs> like, we, you know, we were seeing things that we would have never imagined you would see five years ago in the storage industry. Like, ever. Like, it was like, we don't do that in this industry. Banks don't do that in this industry, right? We're, we're not going to do stupid stuff. And then all of a sudden, we're like, wow. What they were giving away and what they were doing... Um, it's crazy. That's all gone. So that's the the lower level of tranches that we see. As that moves up, will largely depend on customer. There's a lot of mar- there's a lot of capital in the market that needs to go somewhere. So what you have right now, though, that is really driving demand of the assets, is the fact that anybody with money is just losing it. So inflation is destroying their money. They need that money to be preserved. 
So you have a lot of people that's placing money and they're like, I, I need somewhere safe. If it, even if it doesn't make money, it's better off. Mm-hmm. So you have a lot of people that are looking for really low risk, stable assets and they're being very competitive on those and they're trying to pick those up and they're trying to buy it. And this is where we get into the huge swings. So this is what, what you happen is when mar- markets tighten, the uh, differential and disparity amongst markets evaporates, meaning all of a sudden you're getting a four cap in San Francisco and you're also getting a four cap in Pasigula, Mississippi. That shouldn't have ever happened, right? That, that mm-hmm. just shouldn't. And when markets are so hot that money can't even get assets and money is free and everybody wants to buy, that differentiation between Pasigula, Mississippi and San Francisco is gone. Today, there's a difference, right? So you see this spread now of where money wants to go. Uh, it is going to be a flea for stable, very high demand markets that have no ability to have new saturation. It's going to retreat into bigger, better assets in better markets. And it's going to start to leave the third and fourth tier markets. Um, that's generally, well, not generally, that's what's happened every single time. Because interest rates, all, all you're doing is you are limiting the capital. So what the Fed is doing is they expanded uh, our money supply. Now they have to limit it. So the money supply has been expanded. It's chasing goods and services and assets, which created this just massive uplift in demand for goods, services, and assets. And we have inflation. Um, they look at core inflation and consumer inflation, but there's also asset inflation. And the asset inflation has been astronomical for the last four years. Now, rising interest rates cools down usually that demand. That's what it's supposed to do. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to shrink the money supply that they just flooded and propped up. So by doing that, money starts to retreat. It starts to flee to safety. So Generally speaking, if I'm looking in fourth tier markets and I need to sell in the next three years, I'm going to be very concerned about what I'm buying that for, that I'll be able to sell it in the short time in the next two, three years at the same price, unless I can very much drive revenues, right? Like once again, you just can't expect the market to make you. Okay. So this idea that the market is just going to lift assets, the market's going to make us as far as revenue growth, cap rate compression, that's gone. Now, it's much more stable and bigger first-tier markets. They do not get cap rate swings. They have much more stable customer base because there's limited supply. So then money needs protection. They want to be preserved. They don't want to lose their money, though. It really concentrates in that. So it's this creep or this sliding scale. Um, We've seen this in some of our markets like Reno. All of a sudden, certain players like pension funds, things like that, they literally will not even loan to certain markets anymore. They just pull out of it. So market money is literally retreating. It's leaving those markets. Um, That has a big effect on asset pricing. All of those things go into this kind of economic cycle. So When you're investing today, it needs to be dependent on you, not the market. When you're looking at risk, it's not all the same. And for anybody that invested in smaller markets over the last four years, 
you saw something that rarely ever happens. And that was massive cap rate compression, right? And you had huge lifting of rates, things like that. This, we're in an opposite economic cycle that that was in. You need to understand that and to be prepared for that, right? We are. I know my markets that my cap rates are expanding in. Now, whether I can actually, whether if I go to sell it, whether it actually sells for a lower or a higher cap, who knows? But my expectation is that it expanded because I need to make sure that I'm not gambling here, right? Mm -hmm. And when I look at that, the reason I look at it, I may never be selling, but I'm still thinking about it because I'm going to have to refi in, let's say, three, four years, right? We're going to have a new valuation that's going to have to come. So I need to be thinking, okay, well, our pro forma's had this at uh, whatever, a five cap, maybe it should be a six cap, or a six cap, maybe it should be a seven cap. I'm adjusting. And everybody should be in this time. You should be adjusting for this new economic cycle that we're in. And then you should be adjusting your buying, your building, and everything around it to make sure that the market doesn't kill you. So don't expect the market to make you. Guard yourself against a situation that you might get in that the market would hurt you. Limit your exposure there or plan accordingly and move forward. 100% man. Uh, again, going into identifying those value drivers, going and identifying healthy supply and demand, product market fit, and and again, just not banking on the market. You're still, uh, like we're talking about, man, we're looking at deals all the time, closing on deals all the time mm-hmm. that, that have these metrics where we can go in and control the value. And I mean, we're good to go, man. We're not sitting here stressing over no. higher we're, we're this moving or that. Forward. Yeah. yeah, there's no doom and gloom here, dude. No, we... we we're moving at full speed. In fact, I like I tell people, this is when money retreats is when we double down and we'll probably buy more facilities in the next year yep. than we did in the previous two, three, because that's when a different type of opportunity comes. Like I, I like to talk about opportunity is like a scale, right? So when you have more opportunity to buy better deals, the scale goes one way and the side that goes up when that goes down is the fact that money dries up. So a lot of people think, oh, I wish I would have just bought everything in the great recession, right? Well, you couldn't have because you couldn't have gotten money to. So yeah, everybody wishes they could have, but very few executed on it because they could figure it out. So opportunity, so as opportunity goes up, excuse me, as opportunity to buy good deals at a good price goes up, ability to execute goes down. As your ability to find really good deals at great prices goes down, ability to execute goes up because now you have tons of money, banks alone, you can get investors, you have third party management, everybody's in the business making money. It's a scale. When one side goes down, the other side goes up. It's just different, mm-hmm. right? That's all. It's just different. But it means at the top and bottom of markets, we're buying. We just understand the opportunities that are presented and our ability to execute and where to be going. And different cycles, we have to hedge against different things to make sure the market doesn't kill us. I love it, man. I think we'll wrap it up there, dude. We'll top it off. Thanks, everybody, for uh, listening. Uh, Leave us your reviews, comments, all that stuff. Get at us on YouTube, Instagram, all the good stuff there. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for all your support, and we'll catch you next time.